Accidents are an unavoidable fact of life. Or are they? In this podcast, we discuss current events through one personal injury lawyer's perspective. In each episode, we'll focus on one event and attempt to answer the oftentimes not-so-simple question, who's to blame? I'm your host, Jonathan Ratchick. This podcast is sponsored by the law firm of Kramer, Levy and Ratchick, PLLC, and is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you think you might have a lawsuit, you should contact an attorney. On March 10, 2019, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 left Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, en route to Nairobi, Kenya. On board were passengers from 35 different countries, including the United States. Almost immediately after takeoff, the pilot began experiencing difficulty controlling the plane, with the plane gaining and losing altitude by hundreds of feet at a time, a sign that something was terribly wrong. After three minutes, the pilot had requested permission to return to the airport, having gained over 3,000 feet in altitude in a short period of time. Ground control lost all contact with the plane only five minutes after takeoff. Tragically, the plane had crashed outside the airport, killing all 157 passengers on board, including eight American citizens. The crash involving Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 was remarkably similar to another crash only months earlier. In October 2018, Lion Air Flight 610 from Jakarta, Indonesia, crashed shortly after takeoff, just as the plane in the Ethiopian Airlines crash had gained and lost altitude by hundreds of feet at a time, the Lion Air flight had oscillated up and down more than two dozen times before eventually plunging 5,000 feet at 450 miles an hour into the sea, killing all 189 passengers on board. Both of the planes that were involved in the Ethiopian Airlines crash and the Lion Air crash were a 737 Boeing MAX jet. Uh, Now, Boeing had apparently designed uh, new engines for the MAX to achieve uh, increased uh, fuel efficiency. Uh, the engines on the MAX were bigger and mounted further forward on the wings, and this had a tendency to push the nose of the plane upward, which, could, um, if, it, which if it went too high, could cause the plane to stall out. So to compensate for this, uh, Boeing installed an automated system on board the aircraft in order to push the nose down to counteract the forces created by these newer, bigger engines. And the it's called the MCAS system, which is the stands for the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System. Unfortunately, it appears that many pilots who were flying the 737 uh, Boeing Max jet were not trained uh, in order in how to uh, deal with the situation when this MCAS automated system kicked in. So what what happens is that there's just a a back-and-forth give-and-take between this automated system, which is now trying to push the nose down, and the pilots themselves who are pulling, who are trying to make the plane go up to compensate, and there's just this back-and-forth tug-and-war between the automated system uh, and the pilots, which they think is what accounts for these planes gaining and losing altitude by hundreds of feet at a time before they crash. Uh, the consequences for Boeing so far have been have been substantial. Since since the Ethiopian Airlines crash, uh, more than 300 Boeing 730 MAX 8 and MAX 9 passenger jets have been taken out of service around the world. And it's important to understand that, you know, the 737 MAX is the 
is Boeing's best-selling jet ever. Um, you know, there are still over 4,000 planes, you know, 737 MAX jets on order, which represents over $500 billion in future revenues for Boeing. Since these, since the Ethiopian Airlines crash, uh, shares in Boeing's stock have dropped more than 10%, uh, accounting for more than $26 billion in lost revenues. Again, and this is not to mention the thousands of unfulfilled orders that Boeing has with airlines around the world, with which is apparently worth um, you know half a trillion dollars in revenues. The investigation into the circumstances surrounding uh, the happening of this incident um, have not yet been completed, but already parties are trying to uh, people are trying to decide um, who's to blame, uh, who is at fault for if anyone for the happening of this incident, and at least for the purposes of this podcast, uh, what we try to do, or what I'm going to try to do, is try to identify who is at least legally, uh, potentially legally responsible uh, for this Ethiopian Airlines crash and the loss of loss of these 159 lives. So the first party uh, to be, you know, who could be held responsible in any type of uh, airline disaster is the, is the airline itself, in this case, uh, Ethiopian Airlines. Now, Curiously, many aviation accidents fall under what is commonly referred to as the Montreal Convention. Now, the Montreal Convention is an international treaty with, I don't know how many countries are signatories uh, at present, but under the Montreal Convention, airlines are uh, strictly liable uh, for accidents which take place uh, either on board an airline, uh, you know, whether it's during embarking or during flight. Uh, or disembarking, and certainly an airline crash would constitute or qualify as an accident uh, within the meaning of of this international treaty. But there's one catch. So the catch to the Montreal Convention is that the airline is strictly liable, and what that what that basically means is that they are uh, or they are responsible regardless of fault, but only up to a certain amount. Now, presently, that amount is. I think 113,000 special deposit receipts, which I think translates into approximately 150 or 160,000 uh, U.S. dollars. And so the airline, Ethiopian Airlines, would be responsible for every passenger on board that flight up to that amount, regardless of fault. Now, in order for a party to recover more than the limitation of liability uh, set forth in the Montreal Convention, the uh, the airline would have to prove that the incident did not occur due to its own negligence or the negligence on the part of its pilots. What's interesting about the Montreal Convention is that, you know, in most civil litigation, not most, in all civil litigation, the burden of proof is always on the party bringing the lawsuit. So if you bring a lawsuit in federal court as, as a plaintiff, you have the burden of proving your case, you know, by a preponderance of the evidence. But in a Montreal Convention, you know, in this airline litigation, again, it's the airline that has to prove that the incident was not due to the negligence of its own negligence. And that would really, and that's going to come down to the negligence on the part of the pilots. Now, certainly, the airline is going to be vicariously liable uh, for any negligence on the part of the pilots. I mean, the pilots are employees of the airlines and are acting in the scope of their employment with Ethiopian Airlines. And I think there's a real, there's a strong argument that potential litigants could make that Ethiopian Airlines, what that their negligence, their act of negligence, was a substan- was a proximate cause, a substantial factor in causing this crash to occur. 
So apparently the pilot uh, for Ethiopian Airlines, and you know, and they're apparently they're very proud about their uh, you know their training regimen and whatnot, um, had not trained any of its pilots, or at least the pilot who was uh, flying in you know Ethiopian Airlines uh, Flight 302 had not tr- received any training on a 737 Max simulator, which included the MCAS system, which uh, may have contributed to this crash. And certainly, an airline which employs, which has jets in its fleet, and you know hires pilots to fly those jets, has a duty to train its pilots into how to fly them uh, properly and safely. And a failure on the part of Ethiopian Airlines to, in not training it, its pilots to how to operate this system, arguably falls below the standard of care for uh, the airline industry. So then a litigant or a claimant, you know, you know, the family members of these passengers can bypass that that damages cap that's in the Montreal Convention. So again, the, the negligence only comes into play in this situation only for Ethiopian Airlines and only as a way of circumventing the damages cap, you know, the cap on damages that's set forth in the Montreal Convention. And one of the things that makes the a claim under the Montreal Convention so attractive for litigants is that a litigant or a claimant can bring such a claim in their own jurisdiction. So if you have a United States, you know, there are several United States citizens uh, who perished on this cra- in this crash, those citizens could bring a lawsuit against Ethiopian Airlines in a federal, uh, federal court in their home jurisdiction. So if they happen to live in New York, uh, you know, if they lived in Manhattan or Brooklyn, they could bring a lawsuit against Ethiopian Airlines in, you know, the Southern District of New York or the Eastern District of New York. And that's certainly, you know, they try to make it accommodating to litigants in these types of lawsuits. With the catch that there's a cap on damages unless the airline can prove that it was not negligent. Other than a failure to train, I'm not quite sure what a viable negligence theory against the airlines would be. So the airline, Ethiopian Airlines, is given um, its jets by... Uh, by Boeing. It has nothing to do with the manufacturing or design of the jets. Certainly, if the if the sudden gaining and loss of altitude during a flight is something that's unanticipated and only known by the manufacturer, the fact that it happened in and of itself doesn't necessarily point to negligence on the part of the airlines. So where this where this gets interest interesting now is as a, how do you get around this cap of damages, right? So, you know, you have Ethiopian Airlines. Um, they're going to be responsible up to a certain amount unless there's negligence on their part in, fail, in failing to train. But what... So even though there is a cap on damages for lawsuits brought against airlines under the Montreal Convention, absent a showing of negligence, there is no cap on damages on lawsuits against the jet maker itself, in this case, Boeing. Now, in any lawsuit that involves Boeing, there's going to be a huge fight with regard to where that lawsuit is venued. To my understanding, Boeing, you know, their corporate headquarters are located in Chicago, Illinois. And litigants, you know, from around the world would try to bring, are going to try to bring a lawsuit against Boeing in Chicago. Again, for the very reason that, you know, the the U.S. civil justice system and the damages available in the United States 
are a lot more generous than they are going to be in jurisdictions throughout the world. And Boeing is going to fight this tooth and nail. So, you know, arguing that the argument that, you know, the, the, the crash took place in Ethiopia, all the witnesses are in Ethiopia, uh, you, know, you know, the ground crew and the investigation all took place in Ethiopia. These, you know, these litigants are from countries hailing from everywhere else around the world and that, you know, defending a case, it just wouldn't make sense to, uh, you know, to have a case, to bring this type of lawsuit in Illinois, that there's really no uh, nexus, so to speak, between Illinois uh, and this lawsuit, other than perhaps uh, the corporate, uh, you know, location of, uh, of Boeing. But I think that really would overlook one significant argument, which is that the actual negligence or possible negligence on the part of Boeing all took place in the United States, whereas Ethiopian Airlines had, you know, its negligence, you know, is really arises out of a failure to train its pilots and how to safely operate the 737 MAX, the claims against Boeing are going to arise out of its failure or its negligence in designing the 737 MAX. And all that designing took place in the United States. It didn't take place outside the United States. The big claim against Boeing in this type of case, you know, there are going to be negligence claims, you know, whether it knew or should have known um, that, you know, this... 737 MAX um, or this MCAS system was either maybe faulty or prone to um, causing you know, pro- prone to causing the uh, nose of air you know, of jets to, uh, you know, to dip down or to overcompensate and certainly in light of the Lion Air crash only several months earlier involving the same jet you know, which had very similar characteristics to the Indonesian to the Ethiopian airline crash an argument to be made that Boeing certainly knew or should have known that there was a problem with the MCAS system and that its pilot and that pilots um, or airlines which were using this jet needed to either receive some sort of additional warning or training with regard to with regard to this system. If you're manufacturing a product, any product, and you put it out on the market, you know, entered into the stream of commerce. If you're in the business of selling airplanes, well, your your jets need to come with appropriate instructions and appropriate warnings. And certainly, if there are upgrades made to your airplane, such as the such as the addition of this automated system, well, then you need to uh, update your warnings and instructions accordingly. And just putting this, just selling this jet to you know airlines all over the world, um, without telling them that of potential problems associated with this uh, augmentation system, you know, is negligent. It falls below the standard of care. You're putting people in danger, you know, hundreds and thousands of people in danger by not warning them that, hey, if you're using this jet, it comes with a different, a different, uh, it has an automatic system in place that's designed to compensate for the new location on the, uh, of these engines. And you need to train and the pilots need to be trained accordingly, and this is what they need to do. I don't. It doesn't look like they did that, and that's a big problem for Boeing. Now, let's assume that Boeing, for whatever reason, did not know of a tendency of its 737 MAX jets to act in the way that they did in the Lion Air crash and in the Ethiopian Air crash. They're still um, arguably responsible for this incident under a theory of product liability. So one of the nice things about product liability, at least for uh, for tort lawyers, 
is that there's no requirement that the manufacturer or designer of the product knew that it was dangerous. So, you know, litigants or claimants wouldn't have to prove that Boeing either knew or should have known that it was dangerous. They could be held they would be held responsible if it was determined that the Boeing that this jet was either defectively manufactured, which it probably wasn't, it was probably made according to spec, you know, the way that all the other hundreds or thousands of planes were, or more likely that it was defectively designed and that they failed to warn. And under each of those theories, Boeing could be held strictly liable for the for the loss of life in the Ethiopian airline crash. You know, in any type of defective design case, the litigant, you know, you have to put forth, you know, well, what's the alter- how was it defectively designed and what's the alternative design that was available to Boeing in which they didn't do. Already, it's it looks like what what has happened is that there are t- these two sensors that are in the front of the plane, which I think go off when when the nose of the plane starts. It's the anti-stall system, so when the nose of the plane starts to inch upward and upward and upward, um, the automatic system is engaged when only one of these sensors is triggered, as opposed to both sensors being triggered. And there are updates already that Boeing used to have as optional for these jets, which it is now very quickly trying to disseminate throughout the world and have all of its jets brought up to speed, so to speak. Then you have a failure to warn, right? A product, any type of product, um, can be dangerous if it is not accompanied by appropriate warnings. Now, look, certainly there are products which are inherently dangerous, and but that's why they have all sorts of warnings that accompany them. They have black box warning. They have instruction manuals. Boeing is selling all of these jets with a new automated you know, this maneuvering, this MCAS system. Well, it need, they need to have, they need to accompany the jets with appropriate warnings so that the airlines which are buying these planes and the pilots who are flying these planes know to expect that the plane is going to operate this way and not get involved in a crash. And a jury could determine that the jet, that Boeing, regardless of whether it knew, um, that its planes had a tendency, that this MCS system had a tendency uh, to engage when it should not have, should have warned, regardless of whether they knew that, they should have warned purchasers and pilots of this tendency and that its failure to do so made the product defective. That's why the Boeing Aerojet was defective, because it didn't have appropriate warnings. And that's another theory under strict liability, under strict product liability, that Boeing can be held uh, accountable for these crashes. And certainly, you know, Boeing is going to come back and say, well, you know, our planes were, you know, these were state of the art and they employed the latest technology and we didn't find out, we didn't know about this until recently. But certainly they have an ongoing duty to keep abreast of, you know, how their planes are doing. And following that Lion Air crash, see, this would all be different if that Lion Air crash hadn't occurred. You know, the Lion aircraft really changes everything for the Ethiopian Air victims because following that crash it's a lot harder for Boeing to kind of just put it head put its head in the stand and say oh well you know we didn't know and this is the first time this has happened well this isn't the first time this has happened this is now the second time this has happened where a plane shortly after takeoff you know starts going up and this MCA system gets activated and the pilots are and there's just this back and forth and um, oscillation between up and down 
which the pilots are just untrained to deal, which are just not properly trained in how to deal with, and have and knowing that already and not doing anything about it, um, is really is problematic for Boeing. Now the biggest risk uh, to Boeing, at least from a litigation point of view, you know, certain certainly you know Boeing is hurting just given the you know the precipitous drop in its uh, you know in its stock value and the potential loss of you know hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars from canceled orders for this jet uh, would be for uh, what are commonly referred to as punitive damages or exemplary damages and exemplary you know punitive damages are not, are not available in most uh, civil lawsuits just because um, usually the conduct that's in question just doesn't rise to it's just it's not the type of conduct uh, for which uh, punitive damages are allowed uh, punitive damages are designed to uh, to punish uh, you know to punish tort feasers uh, for conduct which is so wrong uh, that they're just trying you're trying to send a message and to you know really dissuade that type of behavior from occurring or from happening in the future um, and in order to generally in order to recover punitive damages uh, there needs to be a showing that there was a what's referred to as a deliberate indifference um, to the public safety and the question is going to become did did Boeing's uh, conduct in this case uh, did their actions evince a deliberate indifference to the safety of others to uh, to the safety of passengers and there's I think there's a real uh, strong argument that it did and again this all comes back to that line air crash in 2018 if Boeing after that crash Boeing must have uh, performed some sort of internal uh, investigation or additional research to determine why its jet failed or why did its jet crash and certainly I'm sure that they would just want to point the finger and just say you know it was all just pilot error that's the only reason why it crashed but if Boeing is aware that there's a problem with this MCAS system if they knew that pilots uh, of airline companies around the world were not being trained in um, how this system affected the flight path of of its jets if it knew that pilots were encountering difficulty in flying its jets and didn't provide any appropriate warnings then certainly there's an I think there's a real there's an argument to be made that claimants could be entitled to punitive damages that Boeing was just deliberately indifferent to uh, the safety and well-being of all of hundreds of passengers on board you know, to the 159 people on board uh, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 and really just didn't care at all as to what happened to them. Um, you know, this is their best-selling jet ever. Um, they're making a lot of money off of this. And as they as they say, if it's just a matter of Boeing putting profits above people and above the safety of people, they'll be at a risk of uh, getting hit with punitive damages. Now, I'm sure some people are, are probably wondering, what about the government? Can't the government, you know, the Federal Aviation Administration, approved Boeing's use of the 737 MAX jet? Can't they be held? Can't the government be held responsible for perhaps negligently approving uh, the airline's use of a manufacturer of, you know, of this jet in aviation? And the answer to that is, I think, probably an unqualified, <laughs> unqualified no. The government, you know, administrative process, regulators are entitled have what's called a qualified immunity to the decision-making process that they have when they are approving or disapproving of any product, you know, whether it's a drug or a plane or whatnot. Now, it doesn't mean that it hasn't come under scrutiny, and 
the uh, FAA, I think, is coming under criticism because uh, delegated its task of approving the FAA jet, um, you know, 737 MAX to uh, inspectors or to whomever who work for Boeing. So, you know, it's like almost having the, uh, the you know, the fox guarding the hen house, so to speak. Um, but, uh, you know, that's a, uh, that's a legislative process that is, or at least that's something that needs to be resolved in the legislature or by the uh, legislative process, not something that's going to be resolved in the court process. So even though the FAA uh, perhaps did not do a live up to its responsibilities in keeping dangerous planes out of the skies, the civil justice system does not provide a, a means of redress for that. And you can't hold government administrators uh, responsible for doing their job poorly. So there you have it, folks. You know, this is a real, you know, a real terrible tragedy. And, you know, we're still learning more. Uh, you know, literally every day goes by and we're learning more about exactly why this, this, uh, why this crash occurred. Certainly over the next, you know, few weeks to months, there's going to be a flurry of litigation against Boeing. And it's going to be really interesting to see uh, where these lawsuits, where they end up. It's probably, I'd be a bit surprised if certainly Boeing is going to try to prevent these lawsuits from being brought in the United States by, you know, by foreign citizens and probably quite possibly by the American citizens as well. But they're also going, I think, going to try to get this matter resolved as quickly as possible to avoid uh, any long-lasting negative publicity. Uh, you know, the longer this an incident like this plays out in the courts or in the in the eyes of public opinion, it's not going to be uh, good for Boeing or for Boeing shareholders. Thank you for listening to The Blame Game. This episode was brought to you by Kramer, Dunleavy, and Ratchik, PLLC. Come check us out at kdrpilawyers.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you, and have a great day.